Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. My name is David. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here in Heights, and I get the privilege of preaching to you. Uh, welcome to those people streaming online, Facebook or YouTube. So this is the last day of the year, last Sunday of the year, and as Pastor Corey talked about, and you saw a video, we're starting this new sermon series, more of the same. And we're going to look at Acts 11 and 13 in the Church of Antioch. Uh, the Church of Antioch was kind of like a trailblazer of churches. They were one of the first churches to witness the people who weren't Jewish. They were the first church to be called Christians. They were the first church to really send money out to another church to help them. And then they were the first church to send out people. And those are very, those are the exact things that we want to do. We want to be a church that's setting the path and doing the things that we know God has called us to do. But yet, I thought, okay, what do I preach on then for this last week of the year? We're not in a sermon series. We never have like just these standalone sermons that doesn't fall into a book of the Bible. And I got this one shot. So I was like, man, I don't want to screw it up. And, but really, like, I'm not going to screw it up because God is faithful and God directs. And so I, I prayed about it and reading and scripture. And I really, I landed here in, in Philippians because I think if we have the right mindset going into 24, it will make a whole difference in how we approach this sermon series and what we're aiming to do, what we're hoping to see accomplished, what we think that God has called us to do. And see, the problem is that some of us, though, we go into the next year, and Corey texted this to a group of us this morning. He's like, we got to look to Jesus. We don't look to the new year and think, you know, new year, new me. No, it's the same you as it is today. It's just a digit's going to change at the end of the year. It's going to go from a three to a four, and you're still going to be the same person that you were today as you will be tomorrow. Like, nothing's going to change. Like, nothing's changing. If you're disciplined, you're going to be disciplined tomorrow. If you're not disciplined, you're not going to be disciplined tomorrow. Like, nothing miraculous is happening at 12.01. If I had my way about it, I'll be in bed at 12 or long before that. But the thing is, I want us today, is like we look at this text, I want us to come to this next year with a different mindset. Maybe for some of you, it's not a different mindset. Maybe it's the mindset that you've had all year, you've had it for a decade, you've had it for 20 years, I don't know. But what we cannot do is to come to 2024, look at this sermon series about our vision and who we are as a church, and then have a lackadaisical mindset and think, well, you know, we're comfortable. We did really well. We blew the, the end of year giving out of the water, and we met budget, and we saw people baptized, and we multiplied MCs, and you know, we can kind of just coast now. We don't want that mindset. We don't want a soft mindset of like the whole world's coming to an end and we're just in, you know, complete defeat and we don't know what to do. Like we're not in defeat. We're not victims. We are victorious through Christ. We don't want to have a selfish mindset. We don't want to have a sinful mindset. We want to have the mind of Christ. And so today, my hope is, is not just to preach a sermon. I mean, it's cool. People, hey, good job. That's great. But whatever. At the end of the day, I want to preach a sermon that impacts you through the Holy Spirit so that when you leave here today, like you're seriously pondering, what needs to change in my life? What does my mindset need to look like? How do I need to approach this next year so that 
Individually, I am on mission for God, and then collectively, as the Heights Church, as who we have been called to be as a church, that you're part of that, that you're part of the body, that you're contributing, that you're adding value to what God has called us to do, and then it's all to the glory of God. Because if we have the right mindset, I think that's very possible, but the, the problem is sometimes we need to kill some sin in our lives, we need to check who we are as a person, maybe we've gotten prideful, we're not humble, and so our big, idea, our big idea for today is this. In death or life, Christ alone. In death or life, Christ alone. That's, that's who we have to be. That's our, that should be our whole, whole motto of how we approach this life. That if we're alive, that it is in Christ alone. We're going to do everything and everything that he's called us to do to his glory and all through his ability. So Paul, as he's writing this, this verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't think he was writing that so it could be like a cool slogan on a coffee mug or on a picture in your house that you bought from Hobby Lobby or that you got on a, you know, a sweatshirt. Like that's not why he wrote that. He genuinely meant that. To live is Christ and to die is gain. He's torn between the two. He's like, I don't know which one I would desire more. If I die, I get to be with Jesus. But if I live, it's all to his glory and I get to advance the church. I get to see his kingdom move forward. That's an unstoppable mentality. Think about that. If you're Paul and you're getting just bombarded by people who are trying to oppress you and to throw you in jail, to beat you, you're shipwrecked at different times, like, and nothing is going well for Paul, and his mentality is this. Hey, if you let me live, I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing and I'm gonna keep going forward. You torture me, to God be the glory. If you put me in jail, to God be the glory. And if you kill me, cool, it's a promotion. I'm going home to be with Jesus. It's gain. What do you do with that? You can't stop someone like that because there's nothing that you're gonna take from them. They've, he's counted all things as rubbish, scripture says when he writes. He's like, I don't care about anything except for Jesus. And so Paul, he's just dead set that he treasured Christ above all things in this life and in the next. He wasn't wanting to get to heaven so quick because he missed his granny. He wanted to get to heaven because he wanted to see Jesus. Like that was his mindset. And so for us, is that our mindset that in death, and in life, Christ alone. Because scripture says that we are a royal priesthood. But yet sometimes we live like orphans outside the kingdom. We live like we're defeated. We live like we have no hope. We live like we have no victory over anything. And Jesus has conquered all things through his death and resurrection. He has conquered all sin. He's conquered all the troubles that we could ever face. And yeah, you're gonna face suffering, you're gonna face persecution, you're gonna face oppression in this life. And yet Jesus says there's something better awaiting you. And that's why we can say death is gain. And so how do we make this happen? How do we live out then that life? Because the reality is all of you are sitting here right now, none of you are dead, and God willing, we'll all be alive in 2024. And so that means to live as Christ. So how do we do that? Well, Paul lays it out in chapter two. So our first point is this. Be unified as a church. Be unified as a church. Let me read verses one and two to you again. It says this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection, any in sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So together, as the church, as the body of Christ, we need to live in a way that is worthy of the gospel, that brings all glory to God. And here's the deal. 
There's gonna be conflict amongst us. Like we're gonna tick each other off over the next year. I guarantee it. I will probably make you mad single-handedly. Just, I guarantee it. I mean, just by me beating you guys in the gingerbread house thing, I probably ruffled your feathers, right? I mean, a little bit. I mean, my MC beat you guys together. We did it. Yeah. I'm not being prideful. I'm just being silly. Yeah. It's all good. But there's going to be real conflict. I mean, we're entering into an election year. And there might be people in your missional community who disagree with you on who to vote for or different issues. And that can become really contentious at times. I mean, we all know it. Like, it's not like our political environment's getting any less uh, crazy. It's only going to get more crazy. And so that could be a lot of conflict. Um, and this next year, we could see something catastrophic happen, and we could just really be hit hard by it, and yet we need to be united in Christ. And Paul, then, he's saying there's this mindset collectively that we need to have in order to be united as the church. And he says the first thing is, like, if there's any encouragement in Christ, well, my gosh, shouldn't there be encouragement in Christ? If you're sitting here today and you've confessed him as your Lord and Savior, you're born again, you're saved, you are a Christian. You know without a shadow of a doubt you are a Christian, then you should be encouraged by that. You shouldn't be just downtrodden and be like, oh, my life is horrible, this and that. Like, you should be encouraged. And then collectively you can look around the room and be like, my gosh, God has saved all these people. He has brought us together as the body of Christ here at Heights. I mean, this room was full in the, second ser- or in the first service. Like, there's a lot of people that God has brought together, and we should be encouraged by that, that he has saved us and that we're in Christ and be united around that. I find it really hard to not be united as a group if people are encouraged by what they're doing. Like, if people are down about what they're doing, they're like, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work out. This is, you know, it's always hard. It's always this. And they're just always kind of sad. There's not a lot of unification in that. I'm like, dude, I don't know if I want to be part of this. I'm going to go find some other people who are excited about what they're doing. And so because we're in Christ, we should be encouraged by it and then united around that. But if that wasn't enough, that we're in Christ, he goes on and he says that if there's any comfort in love, man, Like, we were loved by him, by the king of the universe, by the God who created all things, and by him, all things are held together. That is the God who loves us. And the cool thing is, is like, we can't love apart from him loving us. But then we get to love one another. Like, he loved us first, and now we get to love him and then love one another. That is... That is uniting. Like, how could you not be united to people who you are loved by and that you love? Like, genuinely love, though. Sometimes we're like, oh, yeah, I love them, but I don't like them. Well, that, that's cool. You might not gel perfectly and become best friends with everyone in this church, but you should have more of an attitude of like, like oh, yeah, I love them. No, like, really, do you love them? Do you care about their well-being? Do you care about who they are? Do you want to get to know them on some deeper level? And then you care about when they're going through hard times. Like, do you genuinely love them? Like, our love for one another is something as a church, like, we should be known for it. Literally, Jesus, he says in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Like, he is glorified when we love one another. And we're united by that. But man, he says there's even more reasons to be united 
He says, any participation in the Spirit. So if you're here today and you are a Christian, that means the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you. God gave you his Spirit. Jesus sent his Spirit to you to dwell inside of you, to seal you with the promise of salvation. And so to think that the very Spirit of God is dwelling not just in me, because I'm a pastor, or in a missional community leader, but he's dwelling in each and every one of you that is a Christian, that should unite us too. That why, how could we dislike or not want to be connected to someone who has the Spirit of God living inside of them. Like, who are we? How dare us to be like, I don't want anything to do with that person. They have the very Spirit of God living inside of them. And we have fellowship then because of that. We have fellowship with one another because of that. And then he goes on, and he says, any affection and sympathy. So we're gonna have hard times. There's gonna be difficulties that's gonna come, come up for each and every one of us in the next year. Some small, some large, some that we'll tell people about, some that we'll just brush off possibly. But yet we should have affection and sympathy for one another. We shouldn't just be cold about what other people are going through. We should care and communicate that we care to them because we love them, because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and because we have encouragement in Christ. We can then have affection and sympathy. It's really hard not to be united as a church when you're actually taking up the mantle of other people's struggles in their life. When you're like, yeah, I'm gonna walk alongside you through this. You've got this going on, I'm right there beside you. You've got this going on, let me see what I can do to help you, and then genuinely help them. That's why we have missional community. If you're in missional community and you're truly doing it the way that you're supposed to, if you're really united in that, then you're gonna know one another's struggles and their, and their hardships and you're gonna wanna show affection, you're gonna wanna show sympathy, you're gonna wanna be there for them while they're going through that. And it will unite you. It, I promise you, I've seen it happen in my own missional community where someone is going through something and we rally around them and then what happens? We're more united through that. Every time that a missional community does what we call stories, where every person tells their individual life story, like the real life story, not the Sunday school PG version of their story, like they really tell like all the deep, dark secrets of their lives, like that's really selling missional community, isn't it? Yeah. You leave that more connected, more united, because you know those people on an intimate level now, more than you ever knew them before. And we can have sympathy for someone. We can have affection for someone because you know them. Then lastly, he says in verse four, he said, let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. If I'm truly looking out for your interest, not just my own, that's gonna unite us. If you're doing the same, you're looking out for the interest of the person in front of you or behind you or to your right or to your left, it's going to unite you because you're gonna know that person has your back. But this isn't easy to do. There's no like simple formula like, oh yeah, I can just do this. No, it happens by staying humble. And that's our second point, stay humble. Verses three and four says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look, look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So I asked my son, Abram, I go, hey, read these verses. I was sitting at the, the dining table writing this over the past week, and um, I said, read these, just those two verses right there. So he read them, and I go, Give me one sentence, just sum that up. Give me your best shot. And this is a 14-year-old, all right? And this is what he said. He goes, if you are only doing stuff for yourself, you will hurt others around you. So think about other people first. If you're only doing stuff for yourself, you will hurt other people around you. So think about other people first. This is coming from a 14-year-old who I can't get off his phone to do chores. 
And he gets it on some level, still on some level, he gets it. He's like, if I'm only living for me, if I only take care of myself, if I only look out for my needs, if I only care about how I feel and about how I'm doing, then I'm going to just by default hurt other people around me because they're not gonna feel loved by me, they're not gonna feel cared by me. And the reason that we would do that is because we're being prideful and think that we're owed something that we're not. And so we have to stay humble. Like we have to think about other people and not see ourselves as so significant. He's saying count others more significant than yourselves. How often do we do that? That we're willing to look at someone and think they matter so much because they're created in the image of God and they have the Holy Spirit living in them. And, and I'm going to give of myself, I'm going to give of my time, my resources, my emotion, everything I have, my energy, so that they are okay. That's not easy to do. We have to stay humble. We have to keep our heads on straight and have that mentality, that encouragement and the love and the participation in the Spirit so that we can then humble ourselves and understand like, man, together, if I'm willing to lay down my pride, I can actually have a unity that the world knows nothing about, that only through Christ can we have that kind of unity. In our society, our culture, it doesn't teach that. But the reality is our society and our culture is trash. It's absolute garbage. It doesn't teach us to be humble. It doesn't teach us to do things. It peddles this garbage to everyone that, that you're special and that you deserve to be happy and you should take care of you first and if you don't do good in something, you should get a participation medal because at least you showed up. Well, actually, what you deserve is death. That's it. I mean, you don't, you don't you're not owed anything. God literally looked at us in our death, in our sin, and said, I will save them. I will breathe life into them. I'll send my son. And then we have this audacity to come into the church and we bring that nonsense from the culture and then we peddle it to our kids, we peddle it to each other. Some people preach it. Obviously, you're not gonna get to heard, heard, hear that preached here, but if we have that, it's a bad form of the gospel. And, and I think it's the downfall of Christianity in North America. See, Christianity is on the decline in North America. It's one of the only continents where Christianity is on the decline. Here in Europe. And, I, and this is no study, or this is just my opinion. The, the fact that Christianity is on, the, is on the decline is true, but that's not my opinion. That's like statistical fact. My opinion is that this weak version of Christianity is partly is what is killing Christianity here in North America. Because what you see is we're peddling out this me first, prideful attitude that we wanna take that. And what happens is I don't believe men want that. I don't believe men want that type of Christianity because it's weak. I think that men should and would want a more masculine Christianity. One where they can say, you know what, I'm willing to sacrifice myself for others. I'm willing to step up and lead. I'm willing to lay down my own life so that the, the, the goal is achieved and the mission is achieved, which is to make God known to the ends of the earth. And what happens is when men are like, I don't want what's being peddled there, they are, what they're doing is they're still being selfish because they're not willing to step in and fix the problem, and then they're not leading at home, and they're not leading in church. And Christianity is on the decline because they're not willing to step up. And then we have a whole bunch of people then living out selfish Christianity where they want to come and they want to consume. They just want to be here. And, and if, I'm telling you, if you come here and, and you are part of Heights, like you consider this your home, this is your church family and you come and you sit every Sunday and you're unwilling to serve and you're unwilling to give and you're unwilling to be troubled in any way. That is selfish and pride. 
And then you could be like, oh, no, it's not. I just, I'm not very gifted. Then that's a false humility, and it's just really being prideful. Like, we all are called to be part of the church, and we do humble ourselves, and we do sometimes step up and we serve in ways that we maybe don't want to. Like, there's not a whole bunch of people, like, jumping at the bit, like, ooh, sign me up. I want to do kids in missional community. No one wants to sit in the basement with, like, 15 kids for an hour on a, a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night or a Thursday night. Like, you're not jumping at the chance to do that. But yet, everyone should. Like, who are you to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Someone else can take a second turn. For real? You're that, you're that cool that you can't do kids, but, you know, someone else needs to step up and do it twice because I don't like kids. That's pride. Humble yourself. You say, well, I'm not going to give. You know, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not real sure about all that giving stuff. I, you know, I got some stuff going on financially. I need to figure out, really? You don't think anyone else has got stuff going on financially? But yet we sacrificially give. And I want to say, well done. Because like, that is an area I don't think our church struggles with. I mean, we just blew the end of your giving out of the water. We almost gave one and a half times. I mean, we're like, literally, it could be there by the end of the year. Who knows? Like, that's amazing. And so I don't want to, like, come at this as, like, oh, 2023 was horrible and we got all this stuff we got fixed as a church. I think we're doing awesome as a church. But we can't relax. We can't get just coasting through it. We stay humble and, and understand because here's the deal. Heights is growing by God's grace. Like, a lot of new people. Some of you I haven't even met yet that are in this room today. God is sending new people here all the time. We could get, especially the staff, we could get real prideful and look at heights. We got it all figured out because people call us now and ask us for advice instead of us calling them. People are asking us to speak at things and be on boards and to do this and to do that. And then you as a church, you could be like, yeah, our church has got it all figured out. I can't believe you guys don't do this, this, or that. That would be the wrong mentality. It is all by God's grace. It is all by God's grace that he adds to our numbers. It's all by his grace that people get saved. It's all by his grace that we can give to the end of your giving because every dime that he's given us is from him. And he could, in a snap of a finger, take it all away and we could all be sitting here broke and done and have to shut off the lights. So we stay humble. But then what could stop us from doing that is go back to verse 21. For me to live is what? Well, it's Christ, but is it for you? Fill in the blank. Is it for me to live as money? For me to live as sex? For me to live as a relationship? For me to live as my career? For me to live as my hobby? Because if it is, then you won't be humble. Because if for you to live as whatever else other than Christ, then what's gonna happen is if anything gets in the way of whatever that is you filled in the blank with, then you're going to do everything you can to get that. And when things push against that, you're gonna push against it. You're not gonna like it. You're like, get out of here because for me to live is this. Like, we get, sometimes then we need to get humbled. Like yesterday for me to live was to go hunting. I wanted to go hunting. And maybe I like, could have been at home with my family. I wasn't in sin to go hunting, but I sure got humbled. I'm just gonna give this to you like as a, an illustration like because I went out there and I went with someone from Breeze. They took me out hunting and we're in this nice uh, enclosed blind. It was warm. The wind wasn't getting me. I didn't have to worry. I could like eat snacks and I didn't have to worry about deer smelling them or anything. And I, I don't like saying this because Ryan Crow's in here. He's gonna make fun of me later because Jordan already did. But they, they had me using a crossbow and... <laughs> It, this deer came along, there's like eight deer that came out, and I was, he's getting, gonna get up and leave. He's so embarrassed that I'm his pastor. I used a crossbow. 
This deer, came, like eight deer came out. Finally, I got a shot on one, and I shot it. And we waited, and we got out, and we went to track it, and we tracked this deer for a mile and a half. It's dark. I'm like with a light. We're two grown men in the woods with lights on our heads, walking like this, looking for every drip of blood that we can. And finally, we never found it. And so, like, for me to live yesterday was hunting. No, it wasn't in sin, but my point in this is I got humbled because I went home empty-handed. And so for you, if you're going through your life and you're to live is whatever, if it's money, if it's a relationship, eventually God is going to humble you. I mean, mine's silly. Yeah, I don't have an extra deer right now in the freezer, which, you know, that's not cool, but it's whatever. But if my whole life is based on something else, to live is, and then one day God's going to humble me. He's going to humble me if, my, if I just keep letting it be sin. So it should be to live as Christ, and that takes a humble mindset. But that doesn't come natural to us. So how do we do that? Well, we have the mind of Christ. That's our third point, have the mind of Christ. Verses five through eight. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So this servant mindset, this humble mindset that we need to have does not come natural to us because we're in our natural state, in our flesh, we're sinners. We're gonna sin, we're gonna choose sin, we're gonna choose the flesh over Jesus a lot of times. And yet, if we would just focus in on who he is, focus in on scripture, and allow his spirit who's in us to work in our lives, then we will have the mind of Christ. I mean, his mindset was so different than ours. He says, for us to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that part. It is already ours. It's not something we need to go find. It's not something we need to go achieve. It's not something you're gonna find a self-help book to get. It is already yours because his spirit dwells in you. You just need to be willing to tap into it. He's saying, have this mind, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So it goes back to this idea of being humble. Jesus, he was God, fully God, sitting in heaven, the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, and he knows there's a mission for him to come to earth, be born of a virgin, what we just celebrated with Christmas, and then he knew that that would mean not just being born, but going to a cross and dying in our place. He knew he'd be resurrected, but yet it still took obedience. I mean, it was to the point where he's sitting there in the garden, sweating drips of blood, saying, if there's another way, let it up be. And he says, but not my will, your will be done, Father. And he goes to the cross because he humbled himself. He emptied himself, it says, of who he was. He did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now let me give you an illustration that is told about a missionary, a missionary told from Africa so you can understand this idea of him emptying himself and taking on the form of a servant. See, this chief in this tribe in Africa, the way that he became chief was by being the strongest man in the tribe. That's how they decided who their, their chief was. If you're the strongest man, I don't know if they did a wrestling match or arm wrestling or like who could lift the most weights or whatever, but it sounds really cool. I'd like to watch it happen, right? And so he was the chief. He had this cool headdress that he had to wear and he had this robe that he would wear. But one day, a man fell into the well. He was getting water and he fell deep down into the well and someone needed to go down there and rescue him. 
The only person strong enough to go all the way down, climb down into the well, and then put this man on his back and then climb back up out of the well was the chief. And so the people went and they found the chief and they got him and he came to the well and he was going to climb down there. But first he had to take off his robe and he had to take off his headdress so that he could climb down to the well and he does. He climbs down there, he puts the man on his back, he climbs back up out of the well and the man's safe now and he puts his headdress back on, he puts his robe back on. But here's what didn't happen. He did not cease to be the chief while he was in that well. He was still the chief. He was still ruling and reigning over that tribe of people. It's just he had a mission at hand. There was someone who was in absolute despair at the bottom of the well who had no hope, who had no, no way out. And he said, I will go and I will get them. But to do so, I have to remove what signifies me as the chief. And so he set that aside for that time being and he climbed down to the bottom of that well and got that man. And it's the same thing that Jesus did for us. He looked at us and he said, I'm going to still be God, but I'm going to remove all my glory and I'm gonna take on flesh and I'm gonna go down and I'm gonna live amongst them, the ones I created, and then I'm going to let them put me on a cross and kill me. And then I'm gonna resurrect. And see, Jesus, we need to humble ourselves, but he doesn't need to be humbled. And we can't humble him. He wasn't humbled. He humbles us. See, when he went to the cross, he voluntarily did that. See, it says here in scripture, he emptied himself. He did it himself. And so when he emptied himself and was born of a virgin, that was his choice. When he lived a humble life as a carpenter, that was his choice. When they arrested him in the garden, that was his choice. When they beat him and smacked him and mocked him and spit on him, that was his choice. When they nailed him to the cross, his choice. No one forced him into it. And when they pierced his side and he died, that was his choice. And when they put him in a tomb, his choice. But then he resurrected. No one humbled him, and yet he'll humble us. And that's the mind that we need to have. If we think for one second, for one second that we're owed something in this life, we're not. If Jesus Christ himself will empty himself of the glory of God and then come and be the the God-man and live this life that he's lived, who, who are we to think that we're anything better than what we are. We need to look at our lives and be like, man, that's what I want. I want to have that servant mindset. I want to have that attitude. I want to approach my life like that. I want to approach 2024 like that. Could you imagine, for all that God has done in 2023, in this new space and with new people, could you imagine even if we just got in sync even more with the Holy Spirit, if we were more generous, if we were more united if we are more sacrificial in our time and our efforts and our giftings and we just we just poured everything into it could you imagine what god would do we're more committed to prayer that's the life that we need to live we need this type of humble servant selflessness that is ours in christ jesus but let me ask you some questions do you find it hard then to like relinquish your rights at times maybe you have a right to be mad at someone but you know that being mad at that person is going to impact your relationship with them. Be like, you know what? No, I have a right to be mad. They wronged me. I'm gonna hang on to that. Jesus had a right to be mad. We sinned against him, but he relinquished that right. Do you sometimes think, well, I have the right to this, you know, for someone to speak to, for maybe it's your kid. Maybe you're like, I have a right. I'm a grown man. Uh, you can, don't talk to me that way. Yeah, your kid should be respectful, but how are you disciplining? Are you disciplining in anger or are you disciplining in love? Because God disciplines us in love. He doesn't discipline us in anger. 
Like we so often think that we're owed something. And sometimes we would just take one step back and be like, yeah, but Jesus did that. So how, can I, how would I approach it if I'm gonna live like Jesus? Are we willing to die to ourselves so that we can live for Jesus now? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. To live is Christ and to die is gain. It only makes sense though because of the fact that he came and he emptied himself. Because dying wouldn't be gain if he didn't come. Dying would just be death. And yet death is a promotion. It's not a loss. We're going to heaven. We're gonna go to heaven and be in, the, be in front of Jesus for all eternity. And so we get to be in his presence. That is an amazing thing. And so there's more though to it because some of us will never buy into this. Some of us in this room will never buy into this. We're gonna think, oh, there's no way I'm humbling myself. There's no way I'm giving my life to Christ. There's no way of any of this. But yet, the reality is, is that every knee is gonna bow. And that's our last point. Bow in adoration or bow in despair. You will bow in adoration or you will bow in despair. Verses nine through 11 says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so if you believe what I've been telling you is to be true, that God has sent his son and that Jesus willingly chose that to empty himself and to die in your place and he rose again, then you're going to be one of those people who is going to knee your bow and ador- or bow your knee in adoration to him. But if you have rejected that truth, if you're like, that is not what I'm gonna live my life for, you will still bow your knee. It will just not be in adoration. It's gonna be in despair because the scripture is very clear that everyone who's in heaven, so everyone who's passed on and has went, went before us who's in heaven, they're gonna bow a knee to Jesus as Lord. Everyone who's still here on earth is gonna bow a, a knee to, to Jesus as Lord. And then everyone who's in hell will bow a knee to Jesus as Lord. And so we either, for us who are still alive, what we can know is this, is we can bow a knee, a knee to Jesus now on our way to heaven, or we can bow a knee to Jesus on our way to hell when we die, one or the other, because you're gonna bow a knee, because he is worthy of it. He's the only one worthy of it, not us. No one needs to bow to us. No one needs to look to us with adoration. No one needs to worship us. We need to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's what we need to do. And we can do that by how we are unified and how we love one another and how we humble ourselves to have a mind like Christ. And so I'm gonna invite the band to come back up and I'm gonna invite you guys to stand. Pastor Corey's gonna come up and he's gonna walk you guys through communion and just give you some, just some thoughts to kind of close out. But what I want you to think about today as we wrap up is this, is we are going into a new year. And I think New Year's resolutions are silly and kind of pointless, but any day is a good day to say, you know what, there's some sin in my life that needs a change. And I'm going to make the necessary changes. I'm gonna kill this sin, I'm gonna humble myself, and I'm going to live for Christ. I'm gonna bow and knee to him now. I'm gonna confess him as Lord and Savior. If you do that, he'll save you. He'll come into your life, he'll give you his Holy Spirit, and he will make you new. So, there he is. I'm gonna walk off and you are there. Corey's gonna walk you guys through communion. Good morning, church family. I'm excited to get to close this out with communion this morning. Uh, We take communion together uh, every week as a family, and so this week will be uh, no different than any other time. And uh, as Pastor David was 
talking, I was reminded of a, a Tim Keller quote. Obviously, I love Tim Keller. Uh, and of Christ, he says, crown him or kill him. Uh, but whatever you do, don't look at him and say, that's an interesting guy. And as he was teaching, especially in the first service, I just kept having that quote roll through my head over and over again. I sent an email, or sorry, a text message to the team this morning and said the, the mantra for people this time of year is new year, new me. New year, new me. And I think, as he said in his sermon, right, just because tomorrow is the first doesn't mean there'll be anything new about you. Right? It's just a digit changing on the calendar. And if you look at the gospel and you look at the cross and the resurrection and you see Christ and you choose to kill him instead of crown him, 2024 will look the exact same for you as 2023. And if you wake up tomorrow morning and your rhythms have not changed and your behaviors have not changed and you continue to approach the word of God the same way you approached it in 2023 and you continue to approach prayer in the same way you approach 2023 and this time together now and time in missional community and you do all the things the same expecting a different result 2024 will look the exact same but if you look at the cross man and you behold it and you see Jesus hanging and you see Jesus resurrected and you go everything that I am is now yours because you're the king of kings like I'm done trying to keep you dead. I'm done trying to sit on your throne. It is your throne. You are the king. Then I guarantee you can walk into 2024 and say, new year, new me. Because the Lord will sanctify you, not by your good works and your good deeds, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. He'll be the one that changes you, which means he'll be the one that gets the credit. And so whenever we take communion, communion answers, and how does it, how do we make the new year look different? We need only to hear the gospels we've heard, but then now look at communion. And as you come forward here in a moment, you don't have to be a member to partake in communion at Heights. Uh, you get to come forward and you get to see the bread, which represents Christ's body. And it was broken for you in your place as your substitute. And you get to see the cup, which represents Christ's blood that was spilt in your place as your substitute. And as we encourage you every week to say, hey, just spend some time with the Lord where you're at. And simply look at him and say, hey, these are the, these are the areas of my life where I have not crowned you, but I have sought to kill you. I've, I've wanted to be the king of my life in this specific area, in that specific area. And just take that before the Lord and confess it. There are areas in my life, Lord, where I think I can manage them better than you can. And then allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that the Holy Spirit does, man, which is take up residence in you and actually begin to sanctify you and make you new. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't do that by ourselves. And the Spirit does that, empowered by the gospel. And so I want to encourage you today. Before you come forward, take some time to confess the areas of your life where you've killed the Lord, but you've not crowned him as Lord. You've looked at him as far less than that. And then in a moment, you'll get to come up and you'll get to take the bread, which represents Christ's body broken for you again, and the cup, which represents his blood spilt for you in your place uh, as your substitute. A communion can help you with this. And let me read to you as I read to you every week out of 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So for those of you who are in Christ, that have submitted to the gospel, this is a meal uh, that is for you. If you want to be made new, moving into the new year, I would encourage you to take this time serious. And then come forward when you're ready. Not when the person next to you comes up necessarily, but whenever you're ready to come up to take communion.
Take this time to reflect, to confess, to repent, and then move forward when you see fit.